Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 18 through 30. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. And you shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard is it? How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked him, who can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said to them, No one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. This is the word of God for the people of God. So as we transition, will you pray with me and for me this morning? Holy God, we come humbly before you seeking your word to be wisdom in our life, that we may follow you boldly into this world. And I pray that the words you've given me, or that they would be from you and not from me. And God, I pray that ultimately we would be a people who follow you with all that we have. and Help us to do that by the power of your Spirit. And praise you and thank you in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said. Amen. Well, a few months ago, or maybe it was actually a year ago, uh, kind of... As a result of uh, the political divisiveness that was happening in preparation for the election and, and all that was going on, I began to start reading books about our founding fathers and all the people who helped establish our nation. I read David McCullough's book about John Adams, who was our second president, founding father. I read uh, about Lafayette, who is just a, one of the coolest, bravest guys from France. He served under um, George Washington under the Revolutionary War, came from France to to help us out. And and then now I'm reading Ron Chernow's book, uh, George Washington. And uh, can I tell you that reading about George Washington is just one of the coolest, humbling experiences. Uh, he's just one of the coolest guys. And, and I'd encourage you to do that. Uh, it's It's been uh, helpful for me. And you know, I'll tell you too, that in all of this, I am so proud to be an American. I am thankful to live in a place where I can uh, speak freely where I can live freely, where I can worship freely. You know, I am, I am actually thankful for that. And really, as I read through some of our founding fathers and uh, read about some of the elections, specifically the election between John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, mudslinging and divisive rhetoric has been a part of our polit- political system really since the beginning. This isn't anything new, and, and that's not to excuse or condone any politician um, who who would solidify their voting base at the expense of others, because certainly we've seen all, uh, both presidential candidates, you know, this past year do that, but it happens uh, so often in a lot of different ways. But here's the good news. 
Here's what I want us to remember this morning. That no matter where we find ourselves as Christians politically, no matter who uh, we favor in elections, we need to remember that Jesus Christ is our King, that God is our Lord, and that we serve we serve a God who is greater than any leader uh, that we find ourselves uh, under as Americans and, and otherwise. We need to remember that. And we need to remember that the God we serve is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace, mighty counselor, and the government will rest on his shoulders uh, in the kingdom of come, in the kingdom uh, to come. And so we need to remember that. We need to remember that we are a people uh, who have this, we have this tension as Christians, right? This tension of what it looks like to live in the world, but for the kingdom of God. Because we are citizens of the kingdom of God. We ultimately will be accountable and held responsible for how we live the citizens of the kingdom of God more than just citizens of this world or in this world. And so this is not a new struggle. This has been a struggle that Christians have uh, gone through since Jesus Christ came. And uh, and I want to just kind of say a word about that this morning and just share a little bit about uh, what it looks like to live in the kingdom of the world but not for the kingdom of God. And and can I just be a little bit more specific? I'm not going to be talking about American politics today because the kingdom of world is so much more than that. What I am saying is that it is essential for us as Christians to be laser focused on Jesus Christ in all things so that we can be confident that we're living for the kingdom of God. And this is what Jesus was getting at in his scripture today. Jesus was, uh, as he encountered this uh, young ruler who was coming to him, the ruler came before him and said, uh, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responded and eventually he got to the part where he said, all right, I want you to give up everything you own to the poor and follow me. And the man couldn't do it. He walks away sad. And then Jesus says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. So why in the world would Jesus say that? Is anybody else confused by that or, or wondering, have you ever tried? Can, can I ask you a question? Have you ever tried to put a camel through the eye of the needle? It's not easy. I, you know, and some commentators will say that, well, Jesus was referencing a camel and uh, going through this key gate or a needle gate rather. And so that's what, you know, that's what Jesus was talking about. Jesus was being literal. He was saying it is easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to get into heaven. Can I tell you, I have trouble threading a regular needle, all right, with a piece of thread, let alone a camel. Jesus was saying it is impossible for a rich person to get into heaven. So why would Jesus say, uh, why would Jesus say that he doesn't like rich people? Why would Jesus say that the rich can't get into heaven? Does God not love rich people? And hey, let me put this into perspective for all of us, because as Pastor Mark said last week, if we make $50,000 or more a year, we're living in the top two tenths of 1% of the richest people in all the world. So what does that mean for all of us? Is Jesus seriously saying that in order for us to be Christians, we need to give up everything we own, sell off our house, all of our possessions, take our family, move them out of the house and go live on the streets all in the name of Jesus. Is that what Jesus is saying in this scripture today? Wouldn't that just create more problems? How would God's people do the work of God if we didn't have the resources to participate in what God's work was doing? So as we look at this odd thing that Jesus said, let me just say up front, that's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus is not saying that rich people can't get into heaven, and he's not saying that rich people aren't loved by God. 
Jesus is talking to a very specific person who's struggling with a specific issue. This ruler was seeking eternal life, and Jesus was pointing out the thing that was keeping him from it, his love of money. And so if you brought your Bibles, I want to invite you to, uh, whether they're in your phone or pew back in front of you, uh, or you have them with you, I want to invite you to follow along. If you have a pen, there's going to be uh, a, a time when I'm going to ask you to circle and highlight stuff if it's your Bible. Well, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a pew back. They might need to see it too. But I want to invite you to follow along today because I believe this passage will help us better understand what it looks like to live in the kingdom of world, but for the kingdom of God. And uh, so we see Jesus in Luke chapter 18, verse 18. He's being approached by this ruler. The ruler addresses Jesus. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus said, nobody is good uh, but God, except God alone. Jesus is not saying, I'm not God. Jesus isn't saying, hey, I'm, I'm not God. Why are you calling me God? You see, this word good, whenever you attach it, it was only to be reserved to refer to God. Good means holiness. It means rightness. And so to call anything else but good during Jesus' time, I mean, we use it so flippantly today. But if you like good job, good work, man, this is really good food. We're not calling our food God. But back then, if you called If you called somebody good, you were essentially something good. It was God. And so Jesus is simply calling this guy out. He's saying, don't go around calling uh, things good unless you're talking about God. Jesus is saying, if you really think I'm the son of God, I don't want your flattery. I want your heart. But Jesus is Jesus and he understands this guy's motive. And so he wants to know the God that this guy thinks he's serving. So he pushes him on it. And he says in verses 20 through 21, you know the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. And the guy uh, responds, he says, you know, I've been doing this since I was a boy. So there's this common belief back in Jesus' time, and this was true for this ruler, this belief that if you were a good person, uh, let me rephrase, if you were rich, God was saying you were a good person if you were Jewish. And if you were poor or if you had disease, man, you were doing something wrong. So they wouldn't necessarily go and, uh, and, and the way that they knew if they were in a right relationship with God is how rich or poor they were or how they were doing, um, you know, in their health. And can I tell you, when we talk about whether, when we're comparing the stuff around us to God's love for us, man, that can be really unhealthy in our lives. And that's what Jesus is challenging. And can I tell you, we still struggle with that today. I've noticed that some of us can still think that way. It's not that God isn't blessing us. It's not that God isn't working through some of these things. But to but to say uh, that to measure the, God's love for us uh, by using the tool of all the things around us as that measurement is not a fair and just thing to do. And so, uh, in fact, hip-hop artist, a music artist, Mary J. Blige, she was asked in an interview, Mary, you're a devout Christian. How do you reconcile uh, bling with God? And for those of you uh, who need interpretation, bling is just like fancy, cool stuff. Uh, You know, like really expensive jewelry and clothes and all that. And she responded, my God is a God who wants me to have things. He wants me to bling. He wants me to be the hottest thing on the block. I don't know what kind of God the rest of y'all serve. But the God I serve says, Mary, you need to be the hottest thing this year, and I'm going to make sure you're doing that. My God's the bomb. Can I interpret that for you? (laughs) 
When somebody says something is the bomb, they're not talking about explosive device, they're saying, my God is awesome. She's saying, my God's awesome because God wants me to have all this stuff. Jesus is challenging that perspective, that belief, by calling this guy out. And again, in verse 22, he says, great, you've done all this great stuff, and you believe that God has blessed you, so I want you to take God's blessing that you feel like you have, and I want you to give it all away and bless others by it. That's all he's saying. And the guy says, no, I can't do it. Sorry, I need to, I need to hold on to it. And he walks away. Love of money for this man had such a grip on him that when he asks the Son of God, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him, the guy can't do it. Does that mean that this guy doesn't want eternal life? Does that mean that this guy doesn't believe in eternal life? No, of course not. He's just made the conscious decision not to follow Jesus in this way. That he, He's got the same problem that many of us can find ourselves in. We can fool ourselves with money not realizing that we've gripped it so tightly that all of a sudden it's gripped us and it won't let go. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I can find myself in those places in those moments when it's just when I think I've got a handle on something that I'm struggling with. You find yourself, man, I've got this figured out. In fact, I'm, I've, I pray a lot in the car and uh, I remember praying one day. I was like, Lord, I'm just glad I finally, you know, conquered that hurdle. You know, thank you. And then all of a sudden, you know, there it is again. It's oftentimes when we think we've got something figured out that it creeps back into our lives and it really is actually a problem. It's when we put it off to the side and avoid it and ignore it and pretend like it doesn't exist. That's when it just grows and festers. And before we know it, it's become a problem we can't control. So let me be clear about this passage. This guy doesn't just have a love of money problem. He's got a heart problem. And Jesus is the doctor giving him a a specific prescription. And friends, can I tell you, we've all got a heart problem. Here's the difference. We all need the same medicine, but we don't all need the same dosage. Okay? If you read uh, in Luke chapter 19, just a few verses later, you'll see the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was this tax collector, bad guy. He made a living off taking advantage of other people and taking their money. And so he's up in a tree. He sees uh, Jesus. He comes down off the tree and, and they connect. And then all of a sudden, as his response to an encounter with Jesus, you know what Zacchaeus did? He said, today I'm going to give away half of everything I own and I'm going to repay back anybody that I've taken from that I've harmed. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. But Zacchaeus only gave away half his stuff. What's the deal, Jesus? Why are you playing favorites here? Right? I mean, this is a, this is a passage about heart. It's a passage about surrender. It's a story about how we respond to our encounter with Jesus Christ. Man, Zacchaeus, when he saw Jesus, he didn't even have to wait for Jesus to tell him anything. He just did it. He said, Jesus, man, I met you. I'm going to give away half my stuff. Because that's what I, that's the medicine I need right now. The rich man, he heard the medicine he needed. He didn't want it. He walked away. The more I read scripture, the reality for, for me is I don't like scriptures like this. Can I get an amen on that? Can y'all just, can I get an amen on that? I mean, right? Who likes these types of scriptures? I don't want to hear Jesus tell me that I might have a problem with money and it might be hindering my relationship with God. But it can. And it did for this uh, young ruler. And it can for us. And so there are two dangers I want to talk about the rest of our time today and, and some solution to it. 
two dangers that we can experience in in our love of money and our relationship of God. The danger of self-sufficiency and the danger of distraction. The danger of self-sufficiency and the danger of, uh, of distraction. So the danger of self-sufficiency is the enemy of grace. Can I just say that bluntly? You know, when we're self-sufficient, we tell ourselves that we've worked hard enough and we've earned this and we deserve it and we are in a place where, God, we don't need you anymore. You've helped us enough. Uh, so I don't need to go do the stuff you want me to do or follow you in the way that you call me to. I've got it all figured out. I don't really need you right now, God. But when I do, I'll let you know. You know, we weren't created to be utterly independent of ourselves. And we're not made that way. That's why uh, depression and anxiety are so high in our culture right now. It's because we're trying to do it without God. But we see in the beginning that we were created to be dependent on God. And we see that God's relationship with God's people, every time they had struggles and issues, is because they got comfortable and relaxed and they decided they didn't need God anymore. And they let God know when they did. So that's a danger, the danger of self-sufficiency. This guy thought that he was going to heaven because he was good, but his love of money stopped him from thinking that he needed God's grace. The other danger is the danger of distraction. And I almost think that this is worse. Because when when we're distracted, it's not that we don't want God uh, in our lives. It's not that we don't know that we need it. It's that we're too busy to do anything about it. So we put off Jesus Christ and we're like, hey, you know, I'll get to you eventually, but I've got all this other stuff to do uh, right now. I'm kind of busy, God. And so we find ourselves consumed and focused on all the things that this kingdom of the world tells us that we need to be consumed and focused on. And here's what happens. Sometimes you don't know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. You don't know that Jesus is all you need sometimes until Jesus is all you have. The ruler was distracted. He was self-sufficient and he just couldn't give it up. So he walks away and he's uh, sad. And Jesus said in verses 24 and 25, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. You know, I had a pastor that used to say, my job as a pastor is uh, to keep rich people out of hell. I mean, that's a little harsh, right? But money, because of what it re- represents, safety, security, comfort, it can keep us from having a full and relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It can keep us from doing that because we forget that we need a Savior. So here's the solution. The solution to this specific problem, right? The love of money, the effect that the love of money can have on our hearts is to give generously. Generosity is that solution. So here's a question that we can ask ourselves on a regular basis. Whenever you get that big pay raise or you've got a new job or uh, that's allowed you a little bit more income or you've set some money aside or you have a windfall in your life, what's the first thing that you think about? You can ask yourself this on a regular basis to assess where you are in that struggle between loving money and giving generously of loving God. You can ask yourself, what's the first thing you want to do with that money? Is it to give it away, to bless somebody in a, in a mighty way? Not all of it, but just part of it, some of it, you know? Is generosity your first thought? Or is it, man, now that I've got this, I can get that. Now that I've got this, I can get that bigger house. I can get that faster car. I can, I can have a little bit more safety. I can have a little bit more security. I can have a little bit more comfort. 
What's the first place where your, your mind goes? Because it's something we all need to keep working on every single day. Because generosity keeps our hearts flowing full of grace. When we, when we try to bottle it all up, when we try to hold it all in, our hearts become stagnant. Generosity is like breaking that dam. It allows that river to run freely in our hearts, that river of grace and love from God. So there are two ways that the church helps. We teach, one of the ways is we teach biblical wisdom and money management. The other way is uh, we encourage uh, a tithe. And so you'll find that every fall and every spring we teach Financial Peace University by Dave Ramsey. It's a video-based discussion uh, class. It's really helpful. It's a nine-week study. If you haven't taken it, I'd encourage you to take it. We just finished the class right now. And can I tell you uh, that 12 people over a nine-week period from that class have paid off $30,744 in non-mortgaged debt. So they're still making house payments, but they attack debt in a big and mighty way. Money saved during that class, in addition to all the, the money that they paid off, uh, the debt rather, money saved is $17,400. There were 30 credit cards cut up during that nine weeks. Can I tell you that 25% of the people who attended that class say, man, now it's easier for me to give generously a little bit better because I have my money kind of figured out and I understand it and I know my approach. But you know, the other thing the church does is we encourage giving a tithe. And so you'll see this example that Pastor Mark gave us last week. This is what Dave Ramsey teaches. Uh, you give 10, you save 10, you live off the 80. And can I tell you, when we talk about that word tithe, it literally means a tenth. And not just any tenth, it's the first tenth. So as we receive our paychecks, right? I mean, uh, essentially what biblical wisdom teaches us and what we encourage is that very first 10% goes to God because then we're not even messing with it. It's out of sight, out of mind, and we're just messing with that 90%. And it's all God's anyway. We're just stewards of it. Uh, and so then we we do that. And the other piece, too, is that 10% is really a minimum. Scripture talks about a tithe and an offering. But can I tell you, if you're working toward a tithe or wherever you find yourselves, taking steps is really... Uh, the encouraging thing that I hope you hear today. And here's the other piece I want to be crystal clear about. Tithing is not a salvation issue. It's an obedience issue. Tithing is not a salvation issue. It's an obedience issue. Tithing is a spiritual discipline that keeps our heart from getting blocked up. It's that ounce of prevention that's worth a pound of the cure. But here's what I don't want us to miss. We need God's grace in our lives to inherit eternal life. So don't miss this. At the core of what Jesus is saying, it transcends all the money. It transcends all the rules. It's that part that says we're all sinners and we need a savior. A mentor of mine used to say, there's nothing so good we could do to earn God's love. There's nothing so bad we could do to lose it. And so here's the secret of the passage. If you're following along and you have your pens, Jesus, those who heard uh, Jesus in 26 uh, asked, who then can be saved? And I want you to circle, underline, star, verse 27. Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Will you read that with me? What is impossible with man is possible with God. I don't know that you believed what you just said, so can we read it again? What is impossible with man is possible with God. Whether it's money, time, safety, security, this is a warning to not allow the things in our life to get in the way of our relationship with Jesus. That's what the scripture is about. You know, it was 2008 and I had uh, 
just graduated seminary. I was a brand new pastor and it was June. And can I tell you, that was kind of a wild time to be entering ministry. Because if you remember, uh, I think it was back in March that's of 2008. I think that's around the time that the housing bubble started to collapse and burst. And it was really that whole year was just a wild. And I remember coming into the, the church and um, in Corpus Christi, Texas, and a lot of blue-collar folks worked there. And so they all worked at the refineries and, you know, in a lot of different places uh, in the area and some at banks and, and other places. Everybody was impacted by this. I remember that. People were losing jobs left and right. Or they were having to take significant pay cuts just to keep their job. And so life was looking very different uh, for all the people there. And I remember in particular, <clears throat> there was a friend of mine. And uh, he was hit by this in a hard way. I mean, he was laid off of his job. And so actually for an entire year, he was without without work. And can I tell you, he treated being without work, finding a job like a job. He's one of those that did everything he could. He was getting out there to try to find a job. There was nothing. He just couldn't find anything. Maybe you remember that. Maybe you experienced that. And uh, he had done a really good job of uh, living biblical principles. And so he had saved as much as he probably possibly could. And he watched over that year his savings shrivel up. Couldn't afford uh, to live. I mean, uh, an entire year. And then, you know, he... Uh, I remember, too, he, he started to find himself in a place where he couldn't quite keep up. And he, when he did finally get a job, he wasn't able to keep up with the payments of the house. He wasn't uh, he was having to use credit cards for a lot of things just to pay the mortgage in a lot of ways, even with the jobs that he could find. And uh, to make matters worse for all of us, uh, his house was, you know, underwater. Right. And so he couldn't he was trying to resell. It, he couldn't sell it for what it's worth. And people wouldn't they weren't really buying during that time anyway. Loans were hard to come by. And, and it just the list goes on. To make matters worse, his wife had suffered a, just a dramatic, debilitating illness that was just, I mean, required a lot of focus and attention right around that time, too. I mean, I'm looking from the outside and I'm thinking, man, I don't know how this guy's doing it. His world is quite literally crumbling around him. I remember the conversation we had and uh, we were talking about it and I was, you know, praying with him and, and just... You know, he was sharing with me, I was sharing with him. And I remember him saying, you know, Mark, uh, this is this has been a really tough year. He's like, you know, I've been a Christian for my entire life. Can I tell you, I've been poor, I've been rich, but now that I'm on the verge of losing it all, you know what I, you know what I've experienced? He's like, some, it's like something inside of me has woken up. He's like, as my world is starting to fall around, uh, fall apart around me, and everything's getting stripped away. All I can see is Jesus Christ. He's like, it's the weirdest thing. He's like, all I can feel is God's love and God's presence at work in my life because I can't do it all. And God's walking with me and, and working through me. And, and he's like, it's, I was a Christian before and I knew it. But now I feel it. And I act like it. And he's like, man, I, I've never experienced God's love like this in my life. And can I tell you, because of it, I love God more than I ever have. And you know, it's funny. He said, I can't afford right now not to focus on Jesus in every way that I possibly can. You know, what's true for him, what's true for us is sometimes you don't know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. In just a few minutes, I want to invite us to bring our estimate of giving cards up and uh, we'll be invited to place them on these uh, two tables uh, down in front. 
You know, I don't know what your struggle is. I don't know what things that you're going through right now in your life that uh, that may be preventing you from having a full relationship with Jesus Christ. But can I tell you, I don't know. I'm not here to judge. We all have those things. But here's the thing that I know. Every step that we take toward following Jesus Christ, man, that's another step we take toward living into the kingdom of God. Toward living for the kingdom of God while we live in the kingdom of this world. But this is a step that we all get to take together. This one step of bringing our pledge cards up, giving them to God. Man, this is a step that we get to take together as the church because we're reminded that we're not in this alone. We have God and we have each other and God calls us to be the church, to be a part of his work. We get to come before God and say, God, today I want to invest in your kingdom. God, I want to put my treasure, my heart where my treasure is. And because I know this, those who follow Jesus do so as the church, friends. We're not alone. God, you know, one of the reasons that God established the church or the main reason, God uses the church for his impossible work of salvation in the world and we get to be a part of that. And this is just one of the many steps that we can take and we get to do that together, not alone. And we get to remember this today. That what is impossible for man, what's impossible for humanity, is possible with God. So as we prepare to... uh, to take those steps, to consider where God might be calling and leading us as people and as as the church. Let's take a moment and prepare our hearts and pray.